Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the VSUIT podcast. Spring is in the air, allegedly, as Christian, Ed and I sit down for a chat about what's sprouting in the virtualization world. We're not alone, however. Joining us for the first time is Matt Northam, one of the few Nutanix staff without a VCDX. Hi Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome, thank you. So, uh, yeah, how's, how's it been going? You've uh, been, been doing some fun stuff? Yeah, Nutanix is quite a ride. Um, they clearly the uh, new staff members have set the bar high. So, along with doing the normal day job, I think there's a bit of pressure on a couple of the SEs here in Europe to uh, catch up to the Americans and the Antipodeans down under. Really, <laughs> of which, of course, which do you feel you you sit in both as a kind of an adopted Londoner and a proper proper beer drinker these days, uh, from what I can tell on your Twitter feed. Um, do you identify more with the, the antipodes or the uh, or back back in your adopted country? A uh, bit of both, so, yeah. Being born in the UK but living in South Africa for twenty years, I yeah, still straddle one, one leg in both still. So yeah, straddling still for a couple more couple more years, then I'll be fully migrated back to the UK. I think. Ah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, how, how come you ended up in South Africa? Uh, so back then, there was a company called Rank Xerox. They made really, really, really big printers. And, oh, yes. And, um, my dad worked. My, yeah, my mum my and dad worked for them, and uh, my dad got offered a transfer, and my mum said anywhere but South Africa, and uh, lo and behold, we ended up down there. And after <laughs> the five years, we kind of went, it's really sunny here, and we have our own swimming pool. Why do we want to go back to the UK right now? And, uh, yeah, we ended up staying. Which was fun. But you said you're migrating, you're planning on migrating back? Yeah, I've, it's a weird thing with sport here. So I'm a huge rugby and cricket fan. Um, I support England and South Africa and everything. But when they play each other, I support South Africa because I lived there longer. So in four or five more years' time, I would have lived in, long, uh, sorry, lived in England longer. So then I switched my allegiance to England when they play South Africa. Uh, but I still su- then I'll support South Africa and everything else, especially when they play Australia. <laughs> I, I, I spent a year in Australia when I was five because my my dad worked there. But we we went back for some reason. I don't. I still don't know why. <laughs> why we went Look, back from Perth to to Bergen, Norway? I don't. I don't get it. But hey, well, Perth in, Perth is the largest South African community outside of South Africa. Oh right, okay. Um, I, even I, bigger I, than I, Wimbledon here. <laughs> I, I didn't notice that when I was five years old. <laughs> no, it's just everyone speaks funny to you then there, right? So you wouldn't have noticed the difference. Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even speak English when we when we uh, moved over there, actually. So okay. I, I, I learned English in Perth, to be honest. I uh, went to school there as well. So Interesting. Yeah. But I still don't get why we, why we ever went back to Bergen, though. I don't, I don't get it, but hey... That's must have been for the sunshine and good weather, right? Yeah, especially that part. That, that <laughs> must have been it. <laughs> so, is everyone uh, braced for the uh, the VSAN launch uh, coming up? Some, is it sometime next week? Uh, 6th of March, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. Although, I did see something funny. It might have actually been by, by you, uh, Christian, that... Uh, the people that have been using the beta so long that you know that's kind of the accepted version. They're now actually waiting for the next version. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for new features now. Yeah, uh, so um, the, the launch is going to be something of a 
a misnomer, really. It's kind yeah, of well, it's basically, basically the, oh, oh, okay, everyone else has it now. Now what? Uh, kind of a deal. Because uh, it's it's been a public beta for, for a long time, and a lot of people have played around with it, me included. I, I managed to get it set up on the Dell v, v, VRT Xbox, Vortex box, that I had as a, as a loaner from Dell. It was a lot of fun with it, but it's it's kind of an anti-climax in a way when all of a sudden it's a released thing and you know that okay there's another cycle before there's going to be new features for a product you've been using for months so yeah yeah i guess the key thing is that you know it doesn't matter in which particular way you're going to implement it that these um local storage based solutions whether they be you know uh, sort of an out of the box including hardware um, or whether they're software that you layer on top of it are they are they really having that much impact or are they still going to be for you know specific use cases are they a general use case that everyone's going to suddenly switch to uh, I don't know uh, I, th- I think vSAN is going to be really really interesting for a lot of people uh, but but uh, as I've always said always as I've always said about Vsan, it all depends on the pricing. It depends on the pricing model and how it is going to be licensed. That's what's going to make or break that product, I guess. I, I actually told some managers at VMware that last week. So, And they, did, they just looked at me and just said, nodded and said they wouldn't even confirm that it's being launched on the 6th. But <laughs> I guess it is. But it is. So <laughs> that's how it is. But I, I guess Matt has his own take on that part, being a Nutanix guy. But... Yeah, I think, so it's interesting for me. I mean, you know, I was at VMware for four and a bit years, been working with VMware Tech for, well, since CS6 version one, really, GSX and all that, those days. And I think it's good, you know. Make no doubt about it, what I'm I'm saying is not the official Nutanix um, stand line here. I think most of you know me well enough. That's not what you're looking But I, I think these new type of technologies are very interesting, and I think a lot of it is... I think the cloud has changed things, right? So I did a lot of work on the UK government cloud program, G Cloud, where all of a sudden you had public departments that could go onto the internet and buy things directly without having to go through a complicated tender process, without having to, you know, whittle down and then people challenge it. And, you know, you think of the Amazon IBM CIA cloud cloud debacle. debacle. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden sudden, here we've we've got, got, I don't know, with... um, Lo- local, local storage, storage, you can just you can buy just a server, buy a server and, and get enterprise, enterprise features, features up and running. Up and running. Mm-hmm. So to so me, to it's, it's, it's going to be a good thing. thing. It's enabling an an entirely different way of doing things. things. And, and, well, well it validates the Nutanix message, definitely. But I think if you look at how we've migrated from Big Sands to VSAs as we've gone, HP Left Hand and all of those ones, it I think it was just a matter of time before we got there. I used to joke when I was the security specialist at VMware, oh, everything's been virtualized apart from security. And, yeah, well, it turns out I was wrong because we hadn't virtualized the internal disks, really, in a proper way to enable those features. And it's almost, okay, here's the next hurdle. And a lot of companies have found the way to do it. And it's, it's I think Christian's right. The pricing's going to be really interesting because instead of, you know, when you buy a SAN, you know what you get, right? There's a bunch of disks. And if you're buying a pure storage array, you get a bunch of... SSDs and the all-flash arrays, 
and finance people and bosses like to see that. All of yeah, a sudden, here you've got all this local disc and that, and they're going, well, hang on, I need an enterprise set, and you're going, well, do you? <laughs> now? And that's yeah, going to change things. And people have this kind of physical attachment to things. If they buy yeah. something, they want a physical uh, thing to kind of validate their purchase in a way. So it, it's harder to actually spend a lot of money on licensing than it is on a physical box. Yeah, but is that no more than um, the way that you used to have to convince, you know, back in the day, you had to convince the server hugger, as you know, we've referred to them many a time on, on this show, that no, the, the little blue box with the blue lights flashing on it is not just yours. <laughs> uh, the, the abstract concept of a virtual machine was something that they just it was resources, it was something that they could make use of and instead of there being an abs, um, a physical storage bit which you, they would get a chunk of but they couldn't actually see which chunk they had it's the same sort of thing there is an abstract concept of that storage and the, they, they buy a certain amount of, of capacity and performance for that storage and if they want more of either then they have to pay for it but the thing with, with even virtualizing storage is the capacity in the disk need, still needs to somewhere be there. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's the other thing that you've got to remember that on top of the license cost for vSAN, however it's charged, however whether it's per node, per capacity, etc., um, you've got to provide that. Someone's got to buy some physical spinning, spinning rust or some, you know, bunches of, of uh, flash chips. Uh, in a box together uh, to provide that performance and that capacity. Um, you can't have it without that. Yeah, and, that, and that's physics, right? You need, you need, you still need the blocks of disks, and, and how it's scaled out is. You know, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you know, when you order a SAN, it was always the big joke I had with some of the reps when I left VMware and worked at this cloud company. Always kept forgetting to ask for usable, not raw. Because I'd ask for something and they'd quote me raw, and I'd be like, "No, I need usable." And okay, this rate set and this, and and to work it out. And now, when you start moving to the vSAN, Nutanix, SimpliVity, these scale-out type architectures, all of a sudden you can get a bit more directed. Granted, there are, there are rules around what you get, but you know those resources are distributed. But you still have to add them up in the right way. You know, it's um, there's still physics involved <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, yeah, yeah, but still. If you if you order a SAN, something like that, you you need the switches, you need the cabling, you need all of the physical stuff that makes up your storage array or storage network. Uh, that, yeah, that's kind of like the fixed the fixed overhead, really, isn't it? So whether you're yeah. providing one terabyte or one exabyte of storage information, you need that fabric in place. And this is when I think moving to these scale-out architectures, you're getting into the cloud purchasing. You know, if you wanted to build out your private cloud, as you said, there's a ton of infrastructure you have to build. I had a ton of switching kit we had to buy at our, this cloud company just to install the vBlocks. You know, whether it was one or five, I still needed all that overhead, as you said. But now all of a sudden, I can almost buy as and when I need on hardware, and it's almost moving from a capex to an opex model. And so whilst, as you said, it's the cost is going to be interesting, it's also going to be financial purchasing models of companies. How do they typically procure hardware today? Well, you know, I mean, you know, you all work in these departments. You know, do you get budget allocated for a certain project that you've planned ahead and it's got to be X amount and you've got to spend it by then and you buy all up front? But all of a sudden, these now new models that are coming out allow you to buy month in, 
months, you know, month by month, as and when you need to just scale up the architecture because you can start small and grow in an easy fashion. So it's like, well, do I need to buy that all up front or can I buy a server this month with my SSD and a couple of this and next month my VRTX and, oh, next month actually I need a one-use server with this. And, you know, it, it changes the entire purchasing model as well potentially. And for some firms, they can't do that. You know, no. there actually isn't a financial model in place that will allow them to buy hardware like that, which yeah, I think the, is going to be an interesting challenge. It was something we, we touched on a while ago, was that was accounting and back-end finance systems of companies ready for, for cloud, for that for the on-demand type um, experience that we're used to having to provide as, a, as an IT firm, you know, as the... As it moves, you know, into IT 2.0 or what, whichever version we current happen happen to be on, um, are all the other business systems in place to support that? And I think a lot of companies, the answer is no. Um, and the reason that they will potentially take time to go to these, or they'll go to them in a somewhat roundabout manner, is because their purchasing is based on that. I have an annual budget. I have to spend it. I must buy X. Uh, before the end of uh, March in order to be able to secure it for the next year. And if I have to over-purchase or purchase on fictitious budgets or inflate my, you know, almost use a budget balloon driver uh, where you've inflated something and carry it over for the next year, then they'll do so. Um, and I think it requires an equal administrative mindset change as well as the technological mindset change. Well, here's another thing when you get in a converged... <clears throat> with something like vSAN, you're relying on um, being completely converged with the server, uh, the same cluster that you're using to host your compute. Yep. Now, we all know that uh, these servers are, they're basically end of life, super fast, like faster than any other technology. Um, yeah, three years? <clears throat> yeah. Typically. Whereas any normal enterprise SAN you would buy is five years before the company jacks up the maintenance to force you yeah. to refresh, at least. Yeah, but if it's a license thing, you can just carry over the license when you purchase new compute. Well, yeah, but how fun is that to have to uh, have to it do a migration every two to three years? Based. Yeah, because if you bought your licensing at a per, let's say, for example, per terabyte capacity, uh, three years later you buy some new hardware and, you know, disk capacities and disk densities go up at a pretty high rate, whether it's um, solid state or, or spinning disk. Um, and the minimum that you can buy is triple the size, for example. So suddenly the licensing that, you know, because you've had to extend an initial license, you're not buying a new license, so they will apply the same fee. You're then paying, you're having to buy three times the amount of capacity license. Um, for that for that upgrade yeah. at the old prices. Also, also, how fun is it to have to migrate that stuff? And we don't even know if there's a migration tool available. There's so, a lot of yeah. yeah. In in the case of vSAN, we have no idea. Yeah. Basically, so it, while people like me get are quite excited about vSAN because it opens up a lot of possibilities. It also does something with how you manage your gear in the next few years if you end up actually running it in production. And even though it's it's uh, it's interesting and it'll be a lot of fun to set up and, and use, 
There are questions with it. It's it's version one dot That's it. So it's it's a new thing. Do you want to rely on that for a production environment right now? I don't, I don't know because you don't know down the line how you're going to manage it or how you're going to use it. So the launch is going to be interesting uh, if those kind of things are are, are actually going to be uh, addressed there or it's if it's just going to be this hallelujah meeting of look now we can do storage as well. <laughs> and uh, Matt, let me just quickly let you do a little. Uh Spiel here. How easy is it to upgrade? Like when you're switching different versions of Nutanix converge converge stuff. How easy is it to migrate? It's easy. Um, I'm uh, having come from you know the old deck arrays and all those. And when you want to upgrade, you switch out controllers and pray and stand on one leg and turn around three times, etc. You know all the tricks you tried to make sure everything went smoothly. The the key, I think, one of the things I was really impressed about from Nutanix, so I, you know, I was a customer before I moved to them, and it, it, it was that that upgrade path. Okay, granted, it wasn't a click on a GUI. You know, it's not this iPhone experience yet, but the technology behind it was, and that I ran a couple of scripts and nothing went down, and I could migrate up. And I think that's going to be key for the success of all these technologies. You know, when when my V blocks in my old company ran out of size. It was a forklift upgrade. Get ones in, rip, you know, migrate across, take the old ones out. And it's like, well, hang on, that's a couple of weekends worth. I've got a plan. We're a cloud company. How do I do downtime? Whereas, as Christian was saying, the operational side of this, how you're going to manage it, that's going to make this a success or not. And, you know, in the ultimate goal, what you want is if I've got model A in, and, you know, model B and C come out in the next couple of years, if I can plug those in seamlessly, Migrate with no downtime and remove A seamlessly. Kind of almost like, you know, ESX host maintenance mode. Add some new hosts, migrate my VMs onto the newest CPUs and take the old ones down in a controlled fashion. The product's a success then yeah. because I'm minimizing the minimizing the headache that I have to go through to, to make this change, you know. And it's that's going to be interesting how, you know, we, we've seen those challenges internally at Nutanix and I know some stuff coming that's going to make it even easier. But when when I can run a couple of scripts, it still freaks me out. I run an upgrade on one node and it updates the whole cluster by itself. You know, I'm used to mm -hmm. logging onto a pair of controllers and here, right here we go. The newer hardware stuff's going to be really interesting because until new hardware comes out, no one knows, right? You know, the new HGST drives, or whatever uh, Diablo memory tech. Until you've got it in, no one really knows. And, but the advantage I think these systems has is that they'll be able to react quicker to make use of that. And no one puts in a version one. I think that's going to change. I think people are starting to take more risks. You know, how, how many of you upgraded to Mavericks the first day it came out? Oh, I did. Immediately. Oh, yeah, you, you had issues, didn't you, as well, I think. Didn't you brick your box or something? Uh, no, no, I just had problems getting the upgrade available. Oh, that was it. Yeah, that was it, through the app store. I, I, I had a disk crash for, uh, a few days later, but that wasn't related to the upgrade itself. It was just the flash drive that went buggers up. So, yeah. Uh, so you, you trust the technology enough to do it on the day it got launched with everybody yeah. else. Yeah. And okay, but and no one still does ESX on day one in a big live production environment. Maybe if you're trying to move to a system that has no downtimes like Ed's doing, maybe you do because of the benefits. And it is going to be that cost benefit way up then. It's okay, these new features are coming. How quickly can I do it? And then you're going to start seeing, well, okay. This is part of my hypervisor function. Can I risk to do it? Because you know, I remember the days where, okay, it's a hypervisor. Yeah, we just upgraded it. 
no issues on you know when i went from 2.5 to 3 it was yeah let's just get it done now yeah, it's like okay it's a core component and with storage yeah, added in as well yeah it's gonna exactly. be interesting how people react to it well that, that yeah but that's one thing and the, the other thing that's changed now from let's see say three or three five or four for that matter is we have all these other components now that actually talk to the hypervisor as well we have yeah uh, we have the flash acceleration stuff. We have both in software and hardware. We have different vendors doing this and that. We have integration with the different server uh, vendors as well and their drivers and stuff. So instead of this just being this, this kind of black box that it used to be where you just could do the upgrade from VMware and that was it, we have all these other components now that we actually rely on in our product production environments that come from third parties. And they need to be... Uh, validated on a new platform as well. You just can't just plug in the ISO file and say upgrade and we're fine because you usually won't be the, these days if you have a kind of uh, fairly uh, complex environment. You you just can't do that anymore. I think another big thing will be is when I look when we first started doing this, it was a bunch of VMs on a host. Yeah, you move them across vMotion, made that easy, and you upgraded. Potentially now, you're going to have this host that you're going to have to worry about the virtual machines that are running on there for your application, the storage appliance, kernel module, whichever one it is, and the effect that has, potentially. You know, and with stuff like NSX coming out as well, you could have some of your core NSX components on there. So if you think, you know, vCloud directed Asia had to worry about where the edge device was and if that went down, what happened and routed. So now all of a sudden, a server is actually hosting quite a lot of stuff. You add in some security stuff on top of that as well. And, you know, these VCDX designs, actually, if I decide to go for it, it's going to get really hard for me now. Because um, your your fault domain design now has to include a ton more stuff. It's not like, well, if my servers go down, it's okay, my SAN's still there. You know, if I have two data centers, EMC VPlex or something in there, my servers are separate from my storage. It's different failure domains I'm looking at. Now, all of a sudden, everything is really concentrated on one point. So the scale-out message then becomes really key because that has to be able to go down in order, otherwise the system fails, right? I have to design for failure. And Joe Bagley was talking the other day at the Bristol VMUG, and he, you know, it's got to be a white box, and I know it's going to fail. He used the analogy of how cruise ships have coffins on board because on average there's retired couples that are on board, and sometimes, you know, unfortunately they pass away. So they're designed for failure. Though. Sorry, it's a very, very good time to get a cabin upgrade on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there are, there are times when you can get like an inside cabin, and then they'll say, "Yeah, there's there's something that happens to have opened up halfway through the cruise, and there's a reason yeah. that's opened up halfway through the cruise." <laughs> yeah, they they had the salmon moose, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to make designs interesting. You know, do you what? How how long have we been combined, combined in, IT? in IT? Forty, fifty years. So you've yeah, gone from mainframes main back to client-server, client then scale-out, and it, as different technologies come, we find better ways of using them. And I think we're just going through the next curve, personally, and it's going to be interesting how people migrate. Because you're not going to move off a SAN if you've got a lot of capital expenditure invested in all that fiber switches and the overheads we spoke about. Well, you might want to, but your financial controller probably won't let you. So it's going to be a nice gradual swing, I think, and uh, it'll be interesting how people work their designs into it. Yeah, we're, everything gets... <laughs> I mean, virtualization was a way to get away from a lot of complexities. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, we have all these other components that rely on it, which kind of adds a bit of that complexity back again. So it's kind of moving in a in a full circle as it always does, uh, I guess. But as as we get more and more virtualized stuff going, um, we also get more dependency on the hypervisor layer and the components that talk to it, and then things get more complex again. So we ne still need to do we still need to know what we're doing basically because if we don't. We're like we were ten years ago. We're screwed if things go down. So that's how it is. So Matt, uh, putting your your black polo shirt of security back on uh, for a bit, how do you think the, uh, the you know the change towards hyperconverged infrastructures and things how has that affected the security world? Because surely their 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 comfort zone's been a bit squished because everything is now, as you say, it's all. You've potentially got storage and compute within a similar failure and potentially within a similar security domain. Yeah, it's it it made me nervous. I won't lie. I think you're looking at these things as you say, and you start going, "Well, hang on, I've got to have a hardened appliance, a couple of hardened appliances. How secure is it? Because I can get to the data. You're looking at all the different role-based access controls, but actually, I've still got a hypervisor underneath." So some silly idiot goes and opens up Virtual Center to an admin. Actually, he can take down the storage now as well. Um, so it has added another layer that you you have to um, have to look at. I'm, I'm speaking at a, a, a cyber conference in the end of March, and it is all about. Well, it's great moving to this, but you know, as I mentioned, with all these components now sitting on one host, the person who has the rights that ILO or IPMI username and password can take down a box. Now, so okay, what what impact does that have? So it is now starting to look at the different co components, and it's not just defense in depth. You're almost doing the the building blocks now as well. You're going, okay, is my hypervisor secure? You know, if I lock down ESXi to full secure mode, what does that break on? You know, my network, my storage. Oh, you know, I've got my uh, firewall box on there as well. I've got my load balancer, my AV consoles on that. Crap. Okay. You know, how do I distribute those as well? So I think as soon as you move to these web scale type models, everything you put on has to support that, especially things like replication as well. Do you do SAM-based replication now? That's going to go away. And I think we see that in applications to do their security, the you know, business continuity for applications. They're having to do that at the application layer now because, you know, I can put a nice security domain around that if someone's using SQL always on, Okay, that's secure. I can trust that. So long as he only has admin to that, no one else can screw him up. If they take down a box, his application's still up and running. So mm -hmm. I can pigeonhole him in there, put the block and say, right, he's responsible for that. I have to trust him. At some point, you do have to trust someone, right, in this world, unfortunately. <laughs> um, otherwise, you end up doing all the work yourself. And it it has changed the way I look at things as well. When I start now working with customers on Nutanix Solutions, it's like, Okay, the way you did do things, Mr. Customer, th this has to change. The way you look at it has to change from a protection, DR, and business continuity point of view to keep your data secure and to keep your data available. So you go down to this confidentiality, integrity, and availability triangle, the CIA, which I always find is a very interesting acronym for data protection, but, um, <laughs> you know, especially then you've got our GUI called PRISM, it's even better. So you put that on top and it, it has. It's definitely changed things, Ed. It's. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say I'm not happy about it, 
but a lot of security stuff is now virtual and can scale out as well, so it's a lot easier um, to do it as well. It's just getting them, you have to move everything now, so you can't buy, the SAND team can't go and buy a SAND upgrade in isolation when you move to these type of models. It ain't going to work. You know, yeah. the towers of your, your operational towers have to converge as well. And, and that's been coming, as we've seen with virtualization anyway over the last 10 years. Although I suppose on the plus point, if you do, um, looking at the, sort of the the wider picture of an environment, if you did have to have an air-gapped secure environment, something like you know a, a converged solution makes a fairly easy to deploy, uh, you know, perimeter hypervi- you know, perimeter infrastructure as a service, whereas you might have had to have gone and either accepted the fact that your sensitive data is sharing storage hardware with non-sensitive data, um, or that you know it might be sharing a vCenter or something crazy like that. At least now it is probably easier to to have a uh, an air-gapped environment. Yeah, and that, that, that's something I'm seeing as interesting, because depending on the solution you choose, uh, I mean, Christian will know there's some providers up in the Nordic region where, you know, a box needs to connect to eight different networks, so potentially four to eight different physical switches. So you, your hardware was predetermined by the amount of NICs you had to put in. But if you're converging everything, you know, down into those two, yes, you can build multiple different air gap solutions exactly the same, potentially a lot cheaper than easier than some of the larger converged solutions so if you're looking at the big uh, v blocks flex pods type things you know they don't really scale for 10 20 30 vms right so you might have a different solution deployed just for the air gap but all of a sudden with these vsan nutanix simplicity type architectures you could have the same um solution for your multiple different air gaps remote offices as in your core dc which might bring you operational savings, which does help security, because if you can automate once for the same type of platform, that, that's always easier than having different procedures and processes for different solutions. Um, so it'll be interesting, the swing. Um, you know, I'm keen to see how to work. I think vSAN's going to help us in the marketing message around it um, because of VMware's name. And if you've got VM admins comfortable with that type of architecture and doing that type of design work, it, it will help. So, um, Matt, at some point, do you see this technology being used uh, just from your your customer's sake as like kind of a niche thing? They're using it for only certain uh, certain type of uh, of deployments. Yeah, I think. So when I first heard about Nutanix, it was all VDI. I think that was pretty typical because people wanted to deploy VDI solutions on separate hardware. You know, they'd have servers with the Atlantis cards and etc. to keep it away from their big production SANs. Um, I think as people become more comfortable with it and they feel, as you said, you know, you go from a 1.0 technology to more mature versions and more people use it and then there's better use cases and more importantly, the ecosystem around it supports it. So if you think of how how many of you use VShield 1.0 <laughs> when it was still called VShield Zones? Because it was only I VMware know. doing it. Yeah. When it became VShield App and we had those Technology Alliance partners who came on board and helped out. So, you know, we had HP on board with Tipping Point. We had Trend Micro. We had McAfee. It gained a lot of adoption because you had an <laughs> ecosystem out there. You can't do these things by yourself. 
Yeah, well, it was um, just API, really. There wasn't really much to talk about. Yeah, but now that other people are using it, I think we move from the niche discrete cases and the, oh, let's get it in here because, well, it is cheaper and we don't need a big old solution like we normally buy. We don't need a whole C-class chassis. We just need this little thing. Then it will, you know, it progresses more into the mainstream as it proves itself and, and customers can become comfortable with it, really. Yeah, because I, I, I guess us admins or consultants or whatever we are at the moment, uh, we're kind of, uh, at least I am, with regards to when we're talking about Visa and I want to move on to the next version because we were playing with this for a month or a year, close to now soon. Uh, we're kind of always living on the, the, the bleeding edge of things in a way. So we kind of know whatever is happening and we get to play around with a lot of the new stuff. But we still need to remember that a lot of our customers and clients are actually not that far ahead and they don't actually know how to do this stuff. So they, they might be holding on to do the old way of doing things and, and might still be, do, be holding on to them, that for a couple of years still. Uh, and we, the, the products kind of need to, need to, needs to prove themselves in a way that makes, uh, makes sense for a lot of people who are doing things differently right now. I guess it's got to um, appeal to more than just you know the technology hipsters. You know they won't use anything once it's been released. That's just too mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to delete, delete my VSAN cluster now on on March sixth. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Massimo had a really Massimo Referai had a really good post on the three geographies of IT, and I think you know, forget the um, country boundaries for that and the actual physical geographies of you know, West Coast of Europe, I think Christian's right, you, you have that within the technical community as well, you have the people that are always out there trying it, you know, I don't know, f what's it, faking hard disks to become SSDs on a Dell system, you know, these yep. people that do mad things like that, <laughs> to people that actually have an SLA that they have to sign up to, so, you know, if I'm a cloud provider, I go with a system and I've got an SLA to my customer, then I work backwards to see what my hardware platform can give me. Actually, you know, I go to the power provider to, to my data center to work out from the ground up what it will give me. And if something's too new, sometimes that's just too big a risk. And if at the end of the day, there's a financial cost to me for risk, am I going to do it? You know, it's going to be a really tough decision and it might not be mine to make. I'm going to present the facts of here's what I can give you with this, but this is an unknown because I don't know or actually we can't offer the same SLA anymore. Uh, because of how it's done, because our application might not build that way. The decision's then going to be on us consultants as such, working out how we can then still meet the same SLAs in the same terms for our business on this new stuff. Um, we did it all with VMware six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. I remember having to prove to HP when I worked there, yes, we can put this application on VSphere, don't worry, I can protect and I can give you the same SLA. And you know, Nine, twelve months it took me to get it up mainstream and now it's you know they don't even think about physical so it's going to be interesting how people judge that yeah, is, is there a risk actually that uh, as technologists and people that are, are very interested in, in cutting edge and plus technology that we are blinded by the the shiny kit syndrome um, and will not necessarily adjust SLAs but potentially um, take on more risk than we should do in order 
to satisfy our internal sort of magpie instincts. Yeah. But if you... I always said it's when my job at VMware as the security specialist was a piece of cake because I never had to sign off on anything. You know, I could present the facts and give you a ton of information, but at the end of the day, if something happened, if a breach happened or something, it wasn't my job on the line. You know, whoever has to pay the piper when something goes wrong, they're the person you need to convince of these new technologies. They're the people you have to go and say, look, don't worry, or do worry. But here's the facts and make a calculated, educated decision based on, you know, as you, the risk, you know. What's the old NT4 joke, the NT4 exam? How do you install three, NT3.5 on an X, you know, 286 in the middle of a herd of wildebeest? When, when's that really going to happen? You know, what's the likelihood of it happening and weigh up the risk? And with these web scale architectures, one of the things I'm seeing is, you know, oh, yes, as you said, the magpies want the new stuff. We'll put in some SSDs. We'll spread it out. Okay, what are the chances of a server going down nowadays, really? You know, when was the last time you had a whole server fail? Motherboard, you know, hard drive failure rates, SSD failure rates. They don't happen that often anymore. So, you know, you can now recalculate what is your exposure to risk now in one of these systems. Well, a lot of these full, well, I wouldn't say full hardware failures. But a lot of, if you lose an entire server, it's all related to this converged stuff. Yeah. Back in storage. PSODs from uh, uh, all pads down type of bug. Something like that. And this is where, when I said the scale out, you, you might have a, a, a scale out architecture underneath. So if you lose a whole server, the Nutanix cluster or vSAN cluster stays up, does your application. Because... In a normal, well, say normal, in today's world with servers and SAN, if I lose the server, the disk is still there on the SAN. If I lose the SAN, the servers, okay, the data's not there, but, you know, the, the servers are there. As you say, now it's all gone. Okay, what is my, you know, what, what does that do to my design? You know, do I just have one server or do I have to build multiples of application servers on top of this web scale to survive that failure rate. And that's changing the way I'm look, having to look at designs as well now because of that. Mm. Um, because of how you lose both things at once. Yeah, but then, then you're back up to actually doing that kind of, let's call it clustering for all time's sake, uh, on the yeah, application yeah. Level, level instead of doing it on, or, or not instead of, but in addition to doing it on the storage side or the, the uh, host side. And you yeah, do it on the application. It's definitely an important case for keeping um, availability or um, at an application level. Um, I don't. I think pushing too much down to the infrastructure level doesn't always work, and it's not always applicable. Huh. And it, it, in reality, it should be on the application layer, but all applications aren't designed for that yet. But as we move forward. All those things should actually be at the application layer because then you can dynamically add uh, capacity to an application as well as protecting it by adding more nodes. And you can do that without actually having to redesign your underlying storage and infrastructure. You just add more power to it by running up a new instance, which is basically what everyone is doing with any fresh or read what's let's call it a new technology application anyway yeah and, so, and hybrid cloud means that as well right because you yeah. can't have sand based replication if you're running in a hybrid cloud environment 
no, even no. if you run with VCHS and internal, you, know, you can't guarantee you can have sand to sand based replication. So, as these applications are designed to do application clustering, as you say, rather than at the lower block level, disk to disk type stuff, let's say, using application doing it across the network, you know, the application is then ready for the vSAN, Nutanix, SimpliVity type architectures where, okay, yes, it is going to be scale up by nature anyway. Mm. Um, so the high, you know the cloud's driving that type of behavior, I think, anyway, and that's why I think when people say, oh, cloud's not for everyone, yeah, because your application is not built for it um, today. And these things do change, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, at least. I saw some. <laughs> I saw someone having to do a P2V on a on a MT4 uh, system on Twitter <laughs> a few days ago. So we're not quite there yet. <laughs> it's it's a long journey to go, I think. Yeah, it is. But well, that's kind of one of the things that's fun with this stuff, though, is that it's actually a moving target. We we aren't stuck in looking at the same thing over and over and over again. Or then again, we might be just. Uh, <laughs> it's just a different wrapping on it, but who knows? Uh, but it, it's 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 a moving target. It's a moving infrastructure. It's a moving technology market, and that makes it fun to work with, which is why we do it anyway, isn't it? Yep. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you're, you're left in uh, crazy uh, data center migrations. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, currently... Um I'm doing a, a big storage refresh and a and several cluster refreshes in our environment here. And uh, the problem is we have over like a third a thousand virtual machines, so you can't really go out and say I would like to schedule downtime for each of these machines with the app owners. Some of the app owners you can't even contact, or you don't know who they are, or what the app is, or if it's still useful, whatever. They tell you just that, run it, right? That, that's the moment where you just turn it off and you see who calls you. <laughs> you know, I actually did that with a few, and I didn't move <laughs> it. I actually did that with a few that I, I mean, I'm like, these have to be done. These have to be not in existence any longer. I checked, like, the I.O. record. It's like nobody has logged in, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I came up with kind of a, a funny, uh, non-interruptible way. We're moving from multiple different arrays to one big enterprise array and uh, also swapping out the server architecture. Some of the servers are maybe eight years old, almost 10 years old. Some of the older HP DL380 G5 models. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're trying to, to, uh, to migrate uh -huh. away from that, how do you do that with different CPU, uh, EVC settings or whatever in the cluster? That's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> what we do is we have one separate cluster and an entire host for swinging over. Uh -huh. And this entire host has both of the arrays attached to it. Uh -huh. Then we uh, go ahead and migrate. We turn EVC on in this cluster at the lowest level. I didn't even try to play around. Uh, okay, so you use it as a transit host. Yeah, a transit host between, and a transit cluster. Okay, between clusters, yeah. With two different two different storage arrays, at least, maybe two or three different storage arrays attached, depending on what I'm doing. Then migrate, um, do a, a normal vMotion down to, mm -hmm. the, to that cluster, 
then from there do the storage V motion, then from there migrate it up into the new cluster, and from there it's okay because EVC says, hey, we're the same host, we're the same <laughs> model, so everything's good. Then when you move it to the new host, it still thinks it's running on the old hardware. And so far, that hasn't seemed to cause any problems. We just have to schedule a reboot yeah. and a VM tools upgrade and possibly hardware. But usually I delay the hardware stuff because especially with VM, VM um, X10, oh, uh, no. then you can't manage it with the standard C-sharp client anymore. Basically, you can't manage it at all. <laughs> yeah, then you have to use the web client. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's how we're... We're doing that, and I'm personally, we're doing like about over 1,200 VMs at this point. Uh, I did on Friday, I did maybe maybe 50 without any, I had not one complaint. So. But you're, you're just moving the apps that no one uses anyway, so. No, no, I'm moving everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. I mean, I'll have to get trickier with some of the, the harder stuff. Well, the um, like our tier one will keep the same servers, so because they're fairly new servers, so we don't have to do a full overhaul there. Mm. But our uh, older stuff that we're moving, that it's definitely been sitting in the corner of the data center for a long time, and uh, we're going from like some small, really bad iSCSI arrays. I won't mention the vendor name; it's still active. Uh, to um, a big VMAX with um, fast enabled hmm. so that we can like put the stuff that's not being used down to uh, some RAID 6 SATA stuff like that to save save our expensive disk. Yeah, well, that, that's a big project. And doing that without downtime down is, uh, is interesting. Yeah, and, and sorry? Sorry? Oh, no, that was just me echoing. Weird. <laughs> You're okay. talking to yourself again. Huh? Yeah, I thought that was someone else, but it was actually me. So. Yeah, we we have that feeling all the time, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thanks for listening to VSoup Forty Three, and thank you also to uh, Matthew Northam for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it was good fun. Thank you. And you wanna you wanna plug a blog or something of that of yours? Uh, not mine. Uh, but uh, stephenpoitrus.com, you go to his Nutanix Bible. Uh, yeah, I use it. I shamelessly steal all his logos and information and put them into PowerPoint format. Uh, I'm going to not take any credit for that. It's just if you want to know about the Nutanix platform, go there. Everything under the covers, how it works. You know, It's very transparent. Everything's on there. So I'll plug that one. <laughs> cool. I'll have a look at it. And uh, as usual, you can catch us on um, iTunes, Stitcher, or vsoup.net.